You're very welcome, everybody. Um, this is the start. There's three. Um, come sit for me. Uh, there's three of these together uh, seminars. So this is, the, this is the start of those. They're all about youth ministry. I've been given the topic of preparing for a foreign land, um, helping young people. This sounds so counterproductive, but helping young people leave your church and your uh, community whenever they go off to university or whenever they go off for work or for love when they disappear. Um, so that's that's what we hope to to look at today. At a guess, I would say maybe half of the young people that are currently in your church will probably not be in your church later on um, in life, maybe after they're 25. That's just a wee guess for the church in general. Um, but I know from my church, I just see Ricky down the back here, him and I grew up together in Fawn Presbyterian. And since I took over the youth fellowship there, um, there's been 36 young people have come out of our youth fellowship. And, and currently there's four that are in our church. Uh, and I, I mean in our, in our community um, that are still living in the area. Uh, 32 have moved um, away. So uh, let me introduce together. By the way, everybody's going to get a free book today. If you like, you can clap a little louder than that group over there about the free book. Everyone's going to get a free book? That's right, that's right. That's good. Let people know they're missing out. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I guess the, the, the term that's been given for, for these three seminars is to give youth ministry a go or to deepen in our practice. Um, if I could introduce myself, I'm Andy. Uh, I'm a farmer. I've grown up as a farmer. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a dad of three kids and a husband um, to a wife. And, uh, <coughs> and three years ago, I gave up farming or quit farming more than giving it up. And, uh, and I'm now working along with Exodus. I really see myself as a mission worker in the northwest of Ireland, um, helping churches reach out. Uh, I guess if I, have a, if I have a plan, it's to see disciple-making youth ministry right across the northwest of Ireland. Um, and so, in a way, and as of next week, I'm going to be starting working in Ballymena, Corian, Fermanagh, Sligo, and the northwest of Ireland as well, um, as kind of a wider remit. So while this seminar, I hope to give some information, I also want it just to simply be an invitation. Um, I quit work just so that I could uh, quit working for a living, so that I could help churches reach and disciple young people. So I can probably work that better out in conversation than I can with a microphone in front of me. Um, so honestly, this is an invitation to meet around coffee and talk about young people in your area and how we can see them living life to the full that Jesus gives. There's 14,000 young people in Derry between the ages of 16 and 24. There's 7,000 uh, 200 young people in Coleraine between the ages of 16 and 24. There's 7,600 in Balamina. There's 4,100 in Limavati. There's actually 4,000 and something in Straban. Young people between the ages of 16 and 24. And that's me not even going into the school age group. How many of them do you know are active in their local church? with a personal relationship with Jesus. 
I can really only count for Derry and Donegal, but I know there's hardly a fellowship above 10 people. You see the size of the mission? You see the importance of it? Let's see in our generation vibrant, pulsing churches with the love of God. Let's see disciple-making as the norm in our churches across Ireland. I believe this will take a generation. That's why I'm in youth ministry. Um, so that's why I want to be champion for youth ministry. And it's not lightly, uh, but honestly, um, that I say that the guys who put together the book together, um, so you're going to get a free copy. You'll see who's the authors in there. Most of them are from Northern Ireland, and uh, with the exception of a couple. Um, and uh, any of those guys... They're fantastic people. And if if you know them, if you recognize one of the names, you can partner with them in your area to see young people reached and discipled. Honestly, it's wonderful to be part of something that was birthed out of friendship and a genuine passion for the church. Okay, that's enough now. So, if, uh, By the way, that was an introduction. Um, so on to preparing for a godly land or preparing for a foreign land. How do we teach our young people to be godly in a foreign land? On Sunday, I spoke in a church where there was nine people in it. Nine people. There was a, there was a girl called Louise and her mum. And there was the organist who was uh, about 35. And then there was five elderly people and myself. Nine people. Crossroads Presbyterian was the name of the church. I've grown up in a small church. We've got about 15 families that, that attend regularly. And uh, I've grown up around small churches. Donegal is full of small churches. And basically, what does that mean in terms of organizing youth ministry? Well, for one, it means that we've given up the temptation that we can make a success out of the organization of church. We've given up the notion that we can make a success out of our organization of church. We know that people are going to leave. We know that that's just the norm of being part of a rural community. People are going to leave for work. People are going to leave. So our church isn't going to be flashy. And Well, knowing that the likelihood of a cool graphic designer who could make me a flashy video that would make our church look like the most amazing church in the world is going to move into the area, that's not very likely. And so we've simply just given up the notion that we can make a success out of the church organization. So what are we left with in our rural communities where I've grown up? We're left with people, God, and time. For young people, not much time, basically until they're 18. Then it's on and off for a couple of years, and then probably they're gone. Um, I mean, you can look back in the Irish folklore, if you like, and basically, the stereotypical Irish folk song is this lady on a beach wondering where everyone's gone. That's, that's basically the, the narrative of every Irish folk song that I've ever heard anyway. Where have they all gone? They've gone to America or whatever it might have been. Right? But they've all left. So a brief look at our history will show that, that this is not a new thing that people are leaving rural communities. And just like Amos's and Hosea's and Isaiah's preaching couldn't stop the exile to Babylon, I have... I have no doubt that my small group skills or my ability to open the Bible with young people 
will not stop the exile from Donegal or from the rural communities in Northern Ireland towards the cities. Um, I surveyed 48 churches uh, a number of years ago in Donegal. All of them said that our biggest problem is that young people leave. Uh, and this week, actually tomorrow, we'll, my own church will say goodbye to another one of our young people as she moves for love, this time to Balamoni. So the overarching context, I guess, of rural church or, or rural youth ministry is that we prepare young people for the exile. We teach them to be godly in a foreign land, in the university towns and in employment cities. Like I say at the start, at a guess, and I just made a general guess, that probably half of your young people will not be under your church's influence whenever they're adults. And that's just a guess. You know, people get married and move away, that type of thing. I think even in the cities, that, that, that is the case. So it's a question for us all. How do we pre- prepare young people for the exile? How do we teach them to be godly in a foreign land? And so it's about seven years ago now that I asked myself this question. Who was Daniel's youth leader? Him and his three friends. Who was Daniel's youth leader? I mean, did they hear murmurs from Amos or from Isaiah that the exile was coming and put in a program in place? This is how you prepare for for leaving and setting up life somewhere else? Or were they just well discipled? I mean, (laughs) him and his three friends, who taught them the wisdom and the rhythms needed for a godly life? Who taught them the discernment and how their faith should translate in this new city with all its modern temptations? I mean, they were able to say, okay, we'll let you change our names, but we will not eat your food. Okay, look, look, I'll, I'll help you run your town or run your country more like, but I will not pray to your king. Okay, I'm going to call this place my home and seek the good for it. But I will not bow down to your idols. Because our God is the one true God. For close on seven years now, these characters have caught my imagination. And I sit in awe as they live out their faith openly, empowered so wonderfully by God, and are so impressively bold in their actions. Their stories, though lived in a foreign land and thousands of years ago, live on to this day in childhood books and in dramas and stories and from New Horizon stages. Because often, as people involved in youth ministry, we prepare young people for this exile. We teach them to be godly in a foreign land. We or our church or their family are not around to hold their hand through life. So what would Daniel's youth leader say to us here today? I wish he could come and, or she could come and take this seminar. I wish Daniel's youth leader could come and lead my youth fellowship and fawn, to be honest. There's two ways that we can do this next section of, of our seminar. One is we can 
we can think, uh, what would they say to us if they were instructing us on how to do youth ministry? Or the other one, which I think maybe we'll go for, is what questions would you like to ask Daniel's youth leader? So, and then I'll, I'll put those questions up on the, up on the board, and then that will dictate what we do for the rest of our time together. Who was Daniel's youth leader? What question would you love to ask him as you think? So, just to help us in that question, think of the young people that you know, okay? Maybe they're nieces and nephews, cousins. Maybe you're involved in a, in like in a programmed youth ministry, like youth fellowship or, or a, a youth Friday night youth or whatever it might be, okay? So think of those young people. Hypothetically, let's pretend that they're all going to be gone in five years' time, okay? Now, what question would you ask Daniel's youth leader? Okay, Talk with the, with the people beside you, whoever you came with, and then I, I, want, I want at least five or six questions, so you're going to have to shout out the questions then, and we'll put them on our board. Okay, five minutes then. Uh, what would you ask Daniel's youth leader? Okay, um, you have questions ready or do you want some more time? Happy? Okay, we'll start at the back then and work our way forward. So at the back, um, Bally Craigie, if you want to go first. Cool. Uh, by the way, I'll repeat the question each time I've been instructed to do so. So this is how to make the message stick, okay? How to make the message stick, the message of the gospel and, and faith, okay? Those questions were, how do you involve the older generation, and then how do you encourage a passion for Christ? Okay. So those questions were, uh, what about big age gaps, um, particularly, I guess, in smaller churches where you, you, know, you don't just have 20, 15-year-olds? Uh, and then the other question then is about finding a community of faith whenever they leave. So say if they're going to Liverpool for university, finding uh, churches there. Mm-hmm. So the question there is about churchmen away. How do you encourage them to take the step to embrace a community of faith? So the question is about discernment, um, if I've understood it right, whenever they're away as to how how their faith should now translate in a new place and with new people. Yeah, That's really more for me. You know now what all those squiggles mean. Um, you don't need to. Okay. Message stick, the older generation, encourage passion for Christ, big age gaps, what do you do about a church when you're away, and what about discernment and building in discernment? Um, Martin Luther King, he stood up on top of a chair. Well, sorry, I'm going to stand on a chair, but he stood on, on a podium, I'm going to stand on a chair, and he said, I have a massive complaint my wife's not treated the way she should be. I'm not treated the way I should be. Um, my children are not treated the way they should be. Let's do something about it. Now, we know that that, that isn't the famous speech that all of you know, probably um, not the whole thing word by word, but you could certainly quote some of that speech to me. Because Martin Luther King, he stood on top of a podium and he said, I have a dream that one day my four little children will not be treated by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Yes, he had a massive complaint, but he chose to communicate the dream that he had for his society. 
Jesus looked at Peter on the beach and he said to him, you're a big sinner. You're in a world full of sinners. You need saved. I'm going to save you. Well, yeah, I'm going to save you. And uh, you need to get things sorted out. Now, that's not what Jesus said at all. Jesus said, come and follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. There was a lot wrong with the world, and there still is. There's a lot wrong inside my own heart. And there's a lot wrong, and I don't mean to uh, talk down on young people, there's a lot wrong in young people, just like there's a lot wrong with everybody else. But we must communicate the dream that Jesus has for them, that one day they can be godly, loving, wonderful people who are full to the fullness of life and have a hope that will never pass away. You must be able to look at young people and say, follow Jesus and he will make you. Come, follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. That's how the NLT puts it. And I will show you. I think um, some of some of our stuff about the message sticking and about discernment went away is communicating to our young people that this is about them and Jesus and the people that they find themselves around. We must be able to communicate that Jesus has a dream for their life, that this isn't a, a code of conduct that they are to stick to. This isn't a right and a wrong, and if I check up and I see you on Facebook out dancing some night whenever you should be studying, you know, some other thing like that. That's not what it's about. This is about communicating that Jesus' life, I mean, you're never missing out whenever you follow Jesus. So I think the first question is, do we really believe that Jesus' life is life and life in all its fullness? Or do we think that that verse has an anticlimax at the end of it? I don't. I think that whenever Jesus came and said, come follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people, or I have come that you might have life and that you might have it in all of its fullness or a generous and abundant life with a hope that will never pass, that that life is always the best. So at least while we have our young people, we must communicate that Jesus' life is simply always the best. I think that the church question is, is really, really key for, for a lot of this. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, um, he sets out the call of the gospel in chapters 1 to 3. There, there we have it, the great call of the gospel. It finishes with this prayer that's like, Oh, may you may experience God's love, how high, wide, deep, and long it is. And then you may be able to do, he may be able to do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. This massive call of the gospel, you know, Janet, or Ephesians 2, like where it says, you were dead and now you've been made alive. And so for our young people who've come to Christ, that, that, I mean, that's what's happened. They've moved from death into life. Chapter 4 to 6 of Ephesians then opens us up to how we are to live out this life. It all pivots on this central verse. It's found in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, and it says, As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. The word worthy means like a spanner fitting a nut. 
The spanner is worthy. The spanner is different from the nut, but it is worthy. Or it means on the scales where you have um, the gospel on one side and then the life is worthy of that gospel. There's a little phrase also in Ephesians. I'm Ephesians in the brain, like in the minute. Um, but there's a little phrase in, in Ephesians that says that you'll be filled up to the measure of the fullness of Christ. Okay. Now, if I had a glass of water and I said, I'm going to fill this up to the measure of the fullness of a swimming pool. Okay. Sounds ridiculous. And yet Jesus looks at us. He looks at your young people. And he says, I want to fill them up to the measure of the fullness of Christ. Jesus is the greatest thing this universe has to offer. And the Christian life involves being filled to the measure of the fullness of Christ himself. The point that I'm getting to here is as soon as Paul starts to introduce us to the life worthy. So that central verse, I urge you therefore to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Chapters 1 to 3 is the calling. Chapters 4 to 6 is the life worthy. And the start of the life worthy, it starts off with church. And Paul basically says that you cannot live out the Christian life outside of the context of church. I'm not talking, I mean, I'm a massive advocate for Christian unions. I'm a massive advocate for small groups that happen kind of on the fringes, if you like, of of organized church. But the context of local church, local people living together, living their faith together in a local area is absolutely fundamental to Christian growth. And we must communicate that early. We mu- I grew up in a world where it was all about Jesus and I was told to be embarrassed about my church because I live in a... I mean, Bunkran is the most Catholic town in Ireland in the last census. And so that's our local town. And I went to a Presbyterian church. I, I, I grew up, in, in a way, told to be embarrassed about my church and just say it's just about Jesus. That was the way to explain the gospel. And yet... Paul says that Jesus and the church, he is the head, he is the body. Now, if you cut off the head, you know, <laughs> nothing's going to live here, okay? We can't separate the body from, the, from Christ. And whenever Paul sets out his argument for Christian growth in Ephesians, it's really been the, the grounding text for discipleship through the centuries has been the book of Ephesians. And he starts by saying, you must do this in the context of church, of, and I don't mean a particular church, I just mean the body of Christ in a local area. So going to university, going away, it's absolutely fundamental that, uh, that we encourage them to get involved in the local body of faith in that area. That's where real growth can really happen. Faith is personal, but it is not individual. Okay, encourage passion for Christ. Um, Big age gaps. Okay. Anybody want to comment on on those? (laughs) Or will I give it a go here? I guess if I could take you through um, a little little thing, like how to progress, or the progression of faith that we see Jesus bringing his disciples on. Jesus had a group of disciples. Some of them were in working life and some of them were really young. So he, he, had, a, he had a different age group, a small group, 12 people. Um, and he was encouraging, obviously, passion for Christ, passion for his name. Jesus stood at the shore and he said, come follow me. And really, whenever it comes to Christian growth, this first stage of taste and see that the Lord is good. I would guess everybody in all our churches were quite good at, at doing this um, 
good at saying, come, come and join my group. And over a little bit. Um, so, so we're now we're now part of a community. We're, we we belong somewhere. We feel like we're part. And th- in this stage, we call it explore, or we call it searching. Okay. So young people are searching. Is faith something that I want to k- keep for the rest of my life? Is this real? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? You know, is this worth my life and all the slagging I'm going to get at school whenever I become a Christian? Is this worth it? If you young people at this stage, questions are really important. Questions are nearly more important than answers at this stage. Asking the right questions and encouraging questions is really key. Then we commit to Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's what becoming a Christian means. Giving your life to Jesus. Once young people give their life to Jesus, or anybody in that stage... In a sense, that stage of discipleship is all about setting the foundations right. Okay? So we're going to take one jump. <laughs> so we have a new foundation now. It's a solid foundation. Jesus, after his manifesto, the Sermon on the Mount, he finishes by saying there's two types of ground. There's sandy ground that will fade away, and there's me, the rock. So we, we must have young people in, in our groups who have committed to Christ setting their foundation firmly on Jesus. This means introducing them to the prayer life, to studying the scriptures, to local church, to evangelism, to mission, and so on. Okay? Then, well, what happens next? Well, we just, we start to get filled up with the fullness of the measure of Christ. We can't help ourselves. We want to tell people. We want to get involved in different things that are going on. If you want to call this stage just like the Christian, I guess. Um, But then we just start to, to... you know, we start to fill up. You know that, like, my cup overflows, Psalm 23. So that, that's happening in our lives. I know we are all feeling that, you know. Um, so what happens next is that we just, we, we turn around. We could turn around. And in a sense, we start living life as a witness or we start to express our faith to the world. If you want, if you like little catchphrases, the first stage, searcher, you're going from no faith to faith. And then the second stage, becoming a Christian, you're going from my way to his way, Jesus' way. And then this stage, you're going from private faith to public expression. I don't mind saying that I'm a Christian. I don't mind putting the Facebook uh, status up that has a Bible verse in it. I just want to share Jesus with people. I haven't quite figured out how to organize that yet. But if I'm sitting beside someone on the bus and they don't have the earphones in, I might mention Jesus to them. You know, I just want to express it, okay? And then, well, each of us, and you're probably all here because you're at this stage of discipleship, if you like. Um, This is a wee bit like when Jesus sent out the 72. That's the kind of stage of the Gospels that we're at. And then Jesus gives them the Great Commission. And he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so the next stage is like a harvest worker or where we actually intentionally live our lives for the extension of God's kingdom. And so the group breaks and you go, where you go, and form a new youth fellowship. Go, uh, go, no, no, go hold someone's hand. There we are. Wonderful. Okay. And we go and we, we start to say, you know what, I would love to mentor Someone, I would love to, to have a go at leading a new fellowship if they're hanging around, or I want to be part of an issue whenever I'm going away. I want to extend and live my life around God's kingdom. 
Thank you. Give these three a round of applause. Um, they've had to deal with me all year, not just uh, not just today. If I could give you a little, I don't know if you like diagrams or that type of thing, but I'll give you a little diagram just, just to help that along, okay? So there's two wee diagrams here to do with progression of faith. What I said in the intro was, were, were, was Daniel's youth leader actively preparing them for the exile, or were they just well discipled? I, I, like I, would, I would like to know the answer to that question. I don't know what they actually done, what their synagogue or whatever they were in was actually doing with their young people. Um, my experience is that whenever a young person is well discipled, um, that, uh, that it doesn't matter where they go, that they just want to live for Jesus because they know they're not missing out by putting him number one. Okay? And that, that then, if they're around a community of faith, whatever type of expression that is, that'll encourage that along. Okay? So that, that's why I'm kind of concentrating on this progression of, of faith, if you like. Um, in small churches, we have the wonderful opportunity to tailor what we do. We don't have to do a one-size-fits-all program that some of the bigger churches have to do. Whenever it's smaller groups or whenever you're mentoring, you can really just you know, pick up where they're at. You know, are are you comfortable praying? Well, let's let's think about that. You know, you know, you can you can pick it up where they're at. Okay, we'll do a line and then we'll do another wee diagram. So, is the line? This is coming to Christ. Um, this is. Um, I work along with an organization called Exodus. I'm just going to use our language for this case. This is explore. Okay, taste and see that the Lord is good. Then um, we have this little section. In Donegal, this section happens at camp. Maybe maybe for you, generally coming to Christ, sometimes it happens whenever, like in a summer program or whenever they're away, something like that. Um, in general, and I'm just making a general statement, in general I find the church is really good at this. Like BBs and this type of thing, just bringing heaps of people in, helping them just feel that they're part of something. We don't have too many things that really encourage this section. Actually, coming, bringing them to the point where they are, are left with a decision, where they, are you going to follow Jesus? And then having a mechanism for them saying yes to knowing what's next. In my experience, the church needs to really think better about that. Okay? We're pretty good at having open things that just let everyone in. And, uh, and then for young people, basically young people who uh, have Christian parents, uh, for the most case, for young people who are already Christians, if you like, we're good at ha- forming a wee Bible study for them or something like that. So then, here we have exchange. So this is moving from no faith to faith, from my way to his way, from private faith to public expression, and then from my faith to their faith is really the last call of Jesus in the Gospels, Go and make disciples of all nations. Theologically, of course, it's not a line. Okay, let me just make that point. It's more like sandy ground and we explore. Then we come to Christ. And then we now build our lives on Jesus and we exchange, express, and extend um, into mission. Does that make sense? I helping that. So, um, whenever it comes to then helping our young people before they go away, 
I think one of the clearest things to do is to simply ask them. You, you really need five things to disciple young people. You need to pray. You need to use the word of God. You need to pray. You need to ask them to commit to Christ or ask them what stage of the journey they are on. And then you need to pray. All you really need is, is the word of God. In the context of already being part of a community, that is, you need to pray, 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 use the word of God, and then ask them, look, where? show them that chart or, or whatever, you know, make up your own. What stage are you at? Are you still searching whether you want to commit your life to Christ? Or have you committed him? What's your next step? Whenever it comes to discipling young people, those are the things. And prayer is definitely the context that makes growth happen. Um, that, of course, is along with their own free will to choose to follow. That's why we must continually ask them, um, what stage are you at? Are you ready to commit to Christ? Where are you? Okay. Is there any... Um, I'm just looking at my watch. Everyone's getting a free book today. That's right. I know I announced that at the start. Um, so uh, I, I want to give a, a wee chance to give that out and all. It's 15 minutes to go. So is there any follow-up questions or will we work it out in conversation um, over the next wee while? Anybody, anybody like the whole group to look at? Okay, because I want to do something for, for 10 minutes and then give out the book. So, knowing that this is just the youth ministry stream and that maybe the, the kind of thing I was told is give it a go, what I thought I would do is I would do a couple of two-minute modules, okay, or two-minute workshops. So, these are how to give a Bible talk. Uh, what about reading the Bible with anybody? Or particularly for that, the person I asked about the age gaps, how do we encourage grandas to read the Bible with their grandchildren or uncles to read the Bible with their nephews or my dad who people just stand at, uh, sorry, we're farming family. People just, young boys just stand at a corner of a field waiting for my dad to give them a ride in the tractor. You know, so how do we encourage just people who have the opportunity to talk to young people to read the Bible together? Okay, so how to give a Bible talk, how to read the Bible with anyone mentoring tips, just about one-to-one stuff. How do we do that? What about an overview of the Bible? How do we give young people an overview of the Bible that'll stick with them for life? And understanding progression of faith is covered, so you can't pick that one. Does anybody want to pick one of those? Maybe I have time for two. Anybody want to pick one? Or alternatively, we can do none of them. Mentoring tips. Okay. I've tried to frame these in a way that it's pass-onable for you um, whenever you go to your church. Okay, Okay. the main word is start. Whenever it comes to mentoring, basically it is awkward. It's a wee bit like asking someone out. It's like, hey, um, you know, I was wondering if you want to meet up a couple of times, maybe come to church half an hour early and we could like read the Bible together. Would you like to do that? And you just feel like, I mean, I'm 30 and, and they're 16 and I just feel like a kid whenever I'm asking those questions. But, but honestly, the big tip is to start. Start. Just ask. Just see what happens. Okay, and then there's there's a wee acronym. So here we are. First one is seeking God together. This is not counselling, okay? This is not uh, anything professional. You're simply seeking God together. You're part of the local body of Christ, both you and them, and together you are seeking God. Okay? 
tell others. Um, it's a really good idea to ask someone to pray for you as you do it. Also in terms of child protection and all that, it's good just to, to tell someone, particularly if the young person's under 18. Oh, by the way, uh, me and John are going to come half an hour early to church and we're going to read the Bible together, just as the caretaker's setting up. Okay, so it's a good idea just to tell others that you're doing it. Don't be put off. Too many people are put off by whenever someone says child protection. They're like, all right, well, I can't do youth ministry then. You know, it's just, it's there to protect us, not to, not to take away. Okay, tell others. Arrange details. That might sound so practical, you know, just like obviously, but actually in, in my own experience, if I said to somebody, would you like to meet up from time to time? It just becomes this nothing thing. Like I might pray for them and they might give me a call whenever they're stuck, whenever they're at uni. You know, that's what it turns out to be. But actually, if I say to them, would you like to meet four times once a week from now until you leave for university? So you've, you've kind of said there's a start, there's an end. That's what, kind of, that's what I mean by arranging details. Arrange the start, arrange the end. And if you want to keep going you know, every week, you can keep going every week. Or you can just finish then and say, and look, if you, you, know, if you want me to meet up again, just give me a wee call. You, know, you can just finish with that. But arrange the details. Tell them what you're asking them. I want to meet every, uh, for half an hour, maybe every fortnight, um, and then we'll do two Skype calls whenever you get to university just to see how you're getting on there. So that might be what it is. Okay, so arrange the details, read the Bible, and pray. Depending on where the, if the person's very new to faith, you maybe you know, don't want to spend a big long time in prayer, but certainly read the Bible. Mentoring can very quickly become a me time. Uh, but if you read God's word, which the gospel is on every page, it'll very quickly change from a me time to a Jesus time and the time and form your conversation around the passage that you've picked. Okay? Whenever, it's, whenever it's me arranging to mentor someone, I basically draw a wee box and I say, look, half of our time is going to be spent looking at a passage that I'll pick. A quarter of our time, you can bring up any topic you like and a quarter of our time, I can bring up any topic I like. And that's, that's just how I do it. And generally people like that. They know I can ask any question. Andy can, you know, has a bit of time, but half of our time is going to be spent reading our way through Philippians or whatever it might be. Okay, and then the last one is turn it out. So do something together. You know, if you're meeting before church, well, sure, set up the chairs together or do something for somebody else together. I find that mission and maturity go hand in hand. They're like two wings of the plane. And whenever you bring young people on a journey of serving him, like Jesus sending out the 72, and the disciples were just lit after that. They're like, we saw, and they start naming all these things that they've seen. And uh, whenever we're mentoring someone, go and do something together. You know, Show them how, you're, how you prepare for the next year fellowship or whatever it might be. Do something together. Okay, start mentoring. We have time for one more then of, of these workshops. Anybody else want to pick one? Overview of the Bible. Okay, it is really helpful that whenever, um, whenever young people leave, I'm just I'm continuing trying to speak into that context. But whenever they leave, whenever they read their Bible, they understand the whole story, not just this is my little devotional, inspirational thing for the day. And if it's not Jeremiah, you know, one nine or eleven. 29 or something. If it's if it's not that, then you know I'm not inspired. So maybe I'll just read that first again. It's really key that we help young people understand where each Bible passage fits 
and also this that they understand the story that they are in which is just so marvelous let's not shortchange them by not giving them that full story so um i don't know this is a wee thing we've been developing to, to, to help young people with that left hand let's see it give the person beside you a left-handed high five yeah, we're not as good as left-handed high-fives as we would like. And I don't think we're as good at understanding the whole Bible story as we would like. So, this is the left-handed high-five of the Bible. Are you ready? <laughs> okay, in the beginning, God... So, this is... Uh, hopefully, this is able, you're able to pass this on. In the beginning, God created the world, and it was good. In fact, it was P for perfect. P, perfect. Okay, first P. It was perfect. And then in Genesis chapter 3, well, there was a big problem, okay? I need to see your left hands. Otherwise, you're not going to remember this. That's good. Um, So then there was a big problem. Genesis chapter 3, sin entered the world, and we see Adam and Eve hiding in the garden. They're ashamed of their sin. In a sense, so they're saying no to God already. And then we also see God banishing them from the Garden of Eden, because as we know, he can't let sin in his presence. And so he bans them, he banishes them from the Garden of Eden, from that perfect relationship. So our first point is really Genesis 1 to 3, which is uh, the, the perfection or paradise, and then the problem. Okay? Then uh, as we move forward, our next finger represents the Old Testament. Okay? So we have the point. Okay? And so the story of, of the Bible is not the story of the world. It's the story of Jesus. It is one story that always points to Jesus. So in Genesis chapter 1 to 11, we have just civilization moving as it does. And cities are formed and they learn how to play war and all this type of thing. Uh, and it all finishes with the, bro- with, with the Bronze Age. Um, it, all, it all finishes with the Tower of Babel, okay? Where man's attempt to get to God. And there's a little play there in Genesis 11. So this is the Tower. The uh, there's a little play in the words there where it says they were built this massive high tower and then it says, and God had to stoop down in order to see what man was doing. Such was the feebleness of their attempt. Man cannot get to God. So instead of man being ashamed, he became proud and full of pride. And he thought, I can get to God. We can save ourselves. We can get back to the Garden of Eden. And that is not the case. The very next chapter, the Bible doesn't let us wait that long. Genesis chapter 12 God whispers in Abraham's ear, I'm going to bless you, and out of you, the whole world will be blessed. Then we have the Torah, uh, the first five books of the Bible. And the Torah, that we've tra- woefully translated as, wo- as law, but the word actually means directional teaching. The word comes from helping an archer point his arrow. Okay? And to this day, in the Olympics, if an arrow misses the target, it's called a sinner. Okay, so uh, the, the word Torah means directional teaching, helping a, an archer point his arrow. And so this, these books, the first five books of the Bible, create the teaching, the directional teaching, that helps a nation point to the person of God. Okay? So we have this Old Testament that is all about pointing. The Torah is the grounding text for the people of God in the Old Testament. And then we have um, the... The exile and the promised land, and then inside your wee bones here, you have the judges and the kings, and then, sorry, the exodus and the promised land. What am I on about? The judges and the kings, and then the exile and the return. Okay? So you have three main sections then in the Old Testament. And then we have the person, the highest, 
member of our hand and the highest person who ever lived and walked this earth. We have Jesus himself. He comes, okay? And Jesus came with a message, and you have to do something about that message. He said, who do you say I am? And all of us are faced with that question. What are we going to do? The evidence for the resurrection is staggering. What are you going to do? So we have the person of Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Uh, and then the next step is really the people of God. And God, the Bible overwhelmingly calls them God, Jesus' bride. Lots of family um, imagery is used to describe the people of God. And they are his bride. Jesus commits himself to them in a covenant relationship whenever we come to Christ. And then for those of us who've watched, so this is then, you know, the letters um, then that, that, that form the New Testament. This is really the Gospels, Jesus, and then the letters. And then those of us who've watched American movies, which I would assume is all of us, we know that whenever the daughter says, Dad, are you going to be at my ballet show or whatever it might be? And, and Dad says, yes, of course. But the daughter knows that he's lied before. So she says, pinky promise, which means a promise that cannot be broken between, you know, the wee daughter and the... I know we don't really do that here. But really this last point is the promise. When, as Timothy Keller says, everything sad will become untrue. Isn't that lovely? When everything sad will become untrue. And we have the book of Revelation, which some people think is difficult to understand, but it means Jesus wins. It means we win. And the ascension of Jesus and Revelation to put together give us our... Underst- or give us our our boost towards Christian growth because we know we win. So we don't mind being a humble servant or whatever it is. So to, to remind us all, we have the paradise. Let's see the hands this time, sure. We have paradise and then the problem. We have the point, the person, the people, and the promise. Okay, so each Bible passage that, that, that you're teaching from will fit somewhere in that grand Bible story. And it's a lovely little tool because it's sitting there. Everyone has a hand um, well, most people, and uh, and you know, it, it should be able to carry them with them. And as they open up their Bible, where does this? Pa- oh, right, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Okay, it's here. It's pointing forward to whenever you know the th- in the Old Testament. It's pointing forward to Jesus. Okay, understand as part of the point. Got it. Jesus, He is that one. Okay, or or all oh, these are letters. Okay, the letter to the Ephesians, the people of God. That, that's what that means. Okay, hopefully those we things were helpful um, for you. I really hope this seminar was in some way helpful for your youth ministry and all, and honestly um i want this to feel like an invitation to uh to partner for our, our wonderful young people across this land and our wonderful savior who loves them with an undying love so i think the easiest way to do the books is just you, you just come up and get it so even if you have this book you can take it and give it to someone else okay so it's an Irish-written youth ministry book um, titled Together. Okay, thanks very much. Um, amen.